Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. So how have you been, Swami? Pretty good, pretty good. You know, I have to say the cold has really finally set in. I know it you're probably here. used to it. You're like, uh, oh, cold? It's it's only 18 degrees outside. But, you know, it's it's starting to get a little cold here. You know, there were even a few snowflakes in the air. Ooh, finally. Um, it finally happened. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I can take a whole winter without snow. So I'm I'm getting a little antsy for it. My my kids are like, "When are we making snowmen?" And I'm like, "It's 65 degrees outside. We're never making snowmen." Yeah. I I think it might actually be happening now. All right, so let's go right from there into our topic. Here's where I get paid the big bucks to make those great transitions, and we're going to talk about trauma in the pregnant patient. And we had an excellent talk from one of our PGY3s, Heidi Scher, on the topic, and we thought we'd share some of the pearls that she dropped from her talk. So starting with a little background, trauma is the leading cause of maternal death in the United States, and about 5% of all traumas in the U.S. involve pregnant women. Although much of this trauma is from motor vehicle accidents, a significant portion, or about 25%, is actually from assault and domestic violence. So should we, we should always be on the lookout for this. Yeah, one of the major things to understand is the changes in physiology that occur during pregnancy and how that affects their trauma. So in the first trimester, cardiac output increases, heart rate goes up about 10 to 15 beats per minute, and systemic vascular resistance falls, and you get about a decline of 10 millimeters of mercury in the systolic and in the diastolic blood pressure. So they live a little bit of a lower pressure. Now, we know all these things, but they do have pretty significant effects on trauma. Now, at the same time that all this is happening, the plasma volume increases as as well by about 50%, and that leads to a dilutional anemia. In addition to those changes, there's the physical changes from the growth of the fetus and the uterus that occurs. By about 20 weeks, the fundus of the uterus is at the height of the umbilicus, and it's large enough that it can compress the IVC, particularly if the patient is lying supine. And this brings us to one of our first big take-home points. In pregnant patients with a large uterus, compression of the IVC can significantly inhibit venous return. Displacement of the uterus can take pressure off the IVC and increase venous return. So it can actually solve some of the problems of hypotension. This can be done in two ways. You can tilt the patient a bit to the left lateral decubitus position, which moves the uterus off the IVC. Or number two, you can keep the patient supine and manually displace the uterus while the patient's supine over to the left. Now, it's a little difficult to run a resuscitation with a patient in left lateral DQ. Think about it from the perspective of trying to do chest compressions while having someone lying on their side. So I prefer the manual displacement. In addition to compressing the IVC posteriorly, the growing uterus also pushes up on the thoracic cavity and decreases the functional residual capacity. With decreased lung volumes, you can imagine that oxygenation is going to be an issue particularly during during intubation. And this brings us to another key point. If you can, keep these patients sitting up instead of lying flat on their back, especially when you're trying to pre-oxygenate them. Keeping them sitting up drops the uterus down and allows the diaphragm to expand more. If the patient's in a C-collar, you can always put them in reverse Trendelenburg to create the same situation. Actually, Swami, we should probably pre-ox all patients in the upright position, right? Yeah, I think so. It's a bit of an aside, but I couldn't agree more with you. Rich Levitan has taught this for years. Our lungs work better in the sitting up or standing position. In the supine position, pressure on the alveoli makes them more likely to collapse or at least makes it harder to keep them open. In addition to the effects of the IVC and lungs, the growing uterus alters injury patterns as it displaces the internal organs. The liver, spleen, and bladder are pushed up and are more likely to be injured in blunt trauma. The uterus, amniotic fluid, and fetus protect the mother from lower abdominal trauma. 
However, blunt trauma to this region can be catastrophic to the fetus. Yeah, even in minor trauma, you can see shearing forces that end up separating the placenta from the uterus, decreasing fetal perfusion. This is why even in minor trauma, you want to get fetal monitoring in place and get your OB colleagues to see the patient. Keeping all this in mind, let's launch into our trauma evaluation. We're going to start with our ABCDEs of trauma and add an F for fetal monitoring. When it comes to the airway, maintain SATs as high as possible during pre-ox, knowing that safe apneic time is going to be reduced due to changes in lung physiology. Also, you should expect that there may be some airway edema and friable mucosa. Make sure to have a couple of smaller tubes and suction ready. One other thing to mention is that these patients are more susceptible to vomiting and aspiration as the lower esophageal sphincter tone is reduced. Now let's move on to circulation. We already mentioned displacing the uterus laterally to take pressure off of the IVC. This can help a lot with improving blood pressure. Remember that pregnant patients are already hemodiluted, so have a quick trigger to administer blood if there's any significant hemorrhage. In fact, pregnant women can lose up to 45% of their circulating volume before they'll mount a tachycardia. And even though mom may look good, the fetus is hypoperfused that whole time. So speaking of the fetus, I think it's vital to stress again to get OB involved early and get the phenol monitoring in place. Abruption is a common complication after trauma and can occur in 8 to 13% of patients. You also have to keep an eye out for uterine rupture. The EFAST is a big part of our evaluation of trauma patients, but its accuracy in pregnant patients with trauma is actually unclear. The change in location of structures and the pushing together of organs may make getting all of your ultrasound windows tricky. Even though we don't like to CT pregnant patients, we shouldn't hesitate if there's significant trauma. Yeah, now all of that being said about the FAST, most of the studies do show a relatively good sensitivity around 90% or so, but there's not robust studies on this population. Despite our reluctance, the maximal fetal dose from extensive trauma imaging, including chest x-ray, pelvis x-ray, non-com head CT, chest abdomen pelvis CT, and C-spine CT is just above the teratogenic threshold. Now, we're not endorsing imaging everyone, but don't hesitate to pull the trigger if there's significant trauma or there's a concern for significant injury. Finally, Heidi covered perimortem C-section. So we discussed this back on podcast four, and one of our PGY4 residents did a blog post on this a couple of months back. We'll drop both of those links in the show notes. The key, as we discussed in the past with perimortem C-section, is to think of it as resuscitative hysterotomy. The mother is dying, and delivering the fetus can improve her venous return and her oxygenation, and thus improve her outcome. If you can save the fetus too, that's a bonus, but the focus has to be on mom. Jenny, you want to wrap this up with some take-homes? Of course. So first, remember that pregnant women have physiologic and anatomic changes that must be considered during the trauma resuscitation. Compression of the IVC reduces venous return and can be corrected by placing the patient in the left lateral decubitus position or, our preferred way, by manually displacing the uterus to the patient's left side. Second, again, due to these changes in the body, it becomes even more important to properly pre-oxygenate these patients. Keep them in the upright position as long as possible and be prepared for airway edema by having a smaller size ET tube at the ready. Third, do not forget the fetal monitor. Even in cases of very, very minor trauma, get fetal monitoring on quickly. And last, while we never want to radiate pregnant patients if we can avoid it, in cases of concerning trauma, we just have to do it. And finally, we're going to drop a video on doing a perimortem C-section in the show notes, as well as a table on medications in pregnancy. We have to know which ones we can and cannot give. We'll give you a table for it. Great take-home points as always. 
Well, that's all for the CoreEM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday on testicular torsion and a journal update this Thursday as well. Visit our Facebook page. And if you like it, like the site, visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks and see you all next week.